So as we have noted, it is Palm Sunday, so it seems only appropriate that we should turn in our Bibles to the Palm Sunday passage, and I invite you to do that this morning by turning with me to Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19. We're going to pick it up at the 28th verse, and we're going to read through verse 44. So Luke 19 beginning at verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem as he approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked, asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. In the mountains of Cherokee, North Carolina, there is a dramatic production that is held throughout the summer months in a large outdoor theater the production is entitled, Unto the Hills. It's the story of the Cherokee and the events that led to the Trail of Tears. It is the story that has been seen by millions since it was first introduced in 1950. The Trail of Tears is the story of how state and local militias forcibly removed the Cherokee from their homes and push them to a designated area beyond the Mississippi River. This forced march took place in 1838. Along the trail, as many as 6,000 Cherokees died of disease and starvation and deprivation and abuse. It's a story of the injustice, pain, and suffering of the Cherokee a pattern repeated all too many times throughout American history. 
The atrocities were so horrible that lament and tears are the only response. Most walk out of the theater with tears in their eyes. Because you see, if there are no tears, there is either a lack of understanding or a troubling callousness. And both responses are disturbing. In Luke 19, Jesus has come back to his beloved city, to Jerusalem. Literally, the city of peace. He's come back to commemorate Passover. There are three major events that Luke records for us in this 19th chapter. There is Jesus' majestic and messianic arrival, which most people tend to focus on. There is the table turning in the temple, the next verses after we stopped reading, which fascinates people because it seems so out of character for who we have come to know Jesus Christ to be. And then there is Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, which truth be told is largely ignored in the reading of this text. As Jesus descends the Mount of Olives on a donkey to the jubilant shouts of a large crowd, the celebrants are laying down their cloaks and waving their palm branches as he passes. This event is Jesus fulfilling what the prophet Zechariah said in the ninth verse of the ninth chapter. See, your king comes to you. See, he comes gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. If you have ever walked that path from Bethany down the Mount of Olives and into Jerusalem, the view of the descent provides a magnificent overview of the temple and, in fact, the whole city of Jerusalem, which at the time of Passover is six times its normal size. Together, Jerusalem, specifically what you can see there in the forefront of the picture, the Mount of Zion and the temple represent the heart and the soul of Judaism. And then Luke notes, Jesus began to cry, literally to weep. <laughs> what? In the middle of a parade? In the middle of a celebration? In the middle of what appears to be a coronation? Yes. This is a picture of prophetic lament. This is reminiscent of Habakkuk the prophet and of other Old Testament prophets. But you see, as similar as they were, these tears were different. These were the tears of the God of the universe. Judgment was coming. Jesus sees it. Jesus weeps as he sees the needless pain and suffering his people will, will soon endure. Endure because of the continued foolishness of their rebellion, of their ignoring God. We confess that Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. 
We confess he is the source of our value and purpose and meaning. We confess he is the one who is loving and kind and gracious. We confess God as judge and as omnipotent and omniscient. We say he is our refuge and our strength. And while all of those images are un are true and understandable, they are incomplete. God is also the one who weeps and laments over sin, over misunderstanding, over disobedience, and over the rejection of his people. So in Luke 19, God cries out over the unrighteousness and the impending judgment of his people in just a few days. In just a few chapters, Jesus of Nazareth will illustrate with thorns and nails and a crossbeam that the heart of our sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent God, there is a deep longing to bring forgiveness and reconciliation and hope and healing to his wayward people. The question is why? And the answer should not be missed. Tears, Luke says, welled up in the eyes of Jesus as he looked over the city of peace because he saw their misunderstanding. Jesus says in verse 42, if you, even you, had known on this day what would bring peace, if you just had understood it's not like they had never been told. They had been told over and over and over again. Abraham told them, Moses told them, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Habakkuk, and Daniel told them. Hosea the prophet had told them as well. Speaking for God, he said, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I have also rejected you. Our world has repeatedly been told what will bring real peace. There have been preachers and teachers and prophets. There have been churches and schools. There have been tent meetings and crusades. There have been endless translations and various technologies. You and I have been told and we have likely told others. We are without excuse. Prophet Ezekiel in the 33rd chapter records God pleading with his people, say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their, from their ways and live. Turn, turn back from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? So understand, this word of Jeremiah is not addressed to the pagan nations. This word of Jeremiah is addressed to God's people, to so-called believers and followers of God. It's not enough to know God's will. We have to do God's will. The people of God, Old Testament Jews and New Testament Christians alike, don't have a real great track record. Christians 
dishonor their parents, kill, steal, lie, covet, and are unchaste. Just like unbelievers. In fact, today it is very difficult to tell the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. But when Christians do it, they violate their essence, who they are, their faith. They betray everything that they say they believe. Christians. Christians can be angry, judgmental, hypocritical, racist, sexist, combative, and abusive, just like unbelievers. But when Christians do it, they violate the essence of their faith. They betray everything that they say they believe. Christians can be manipulative and demeaning and controlling and insensitive, just like unbelievers. But when Christians do it, We violate the essence of our faith and we betray everything that we say we believe. God loves us with a greater love than we can even imagine. He created us to be loved and to love. The truth is we really messed up. And as a result, scripture says we all deserve to die. But instead of death, God steps in and he makes us this amazing offer. He decides he is going to send his one and only son. His son is going to take on the form of a human being like us and he will suffer and he will ultimately die on a cross for us to take our penalty upon himself. All he requires from us is that we trust him with our whole heart And we surrender our life to him. If we said, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve that. I'm not worthy. We would would be right. All that's true. But God says, I love you so much. None of that matters. Just follow me. If you were the only person on the face of this earth who stepped forward and trusted God with your whole heart and were willing to surrender your life to him, Jesus would still have come and given his life for you. There's nothing that you can do that would make God love you more. And at the same time, there is nothing you could do that would make God love you any less. That's who our God is. And now you know, again. And yet there are still people today who have heard this, heard it over and over and over again, who still walk away, who still persist in their rebellion and their unbelief and their disobedience, who still aren't interested in giving their whole life to Jesus, even though Jesus gave his whole life for them. Jesus here recognizes their lack of understanding. Even after they've been told over and over and over again. And so he weeps. Today, Jesus stands outside of our hearts and homes and cities. And even our churches. Waiting to be invited in. And he weeps. He still weeps. 
Jesus saw their misunderstanding. He also saw their disobedience. Tears welled up in Jesus' eyes as he looked over the city of peace because of their disobedience. He says in verse 42, if you, even you, had known on this day what would bring peace, but it is now hidden from your eyes. Or as James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. As followers of Jesus... Many of us have sat under the teaching of God's word for decades. We have a lot of stored up knowledge. And knowledge is a really good thing. But what are we doing with it? Knowledge means that we should know what we should do. But are we doing it? We know what God says about compassion about caring for the poor and the widows. We know what God says about loving and proclaiming the gospel to our neighbor. We know about what God says about spending time in prayer and spending time engaged in his word. We know what God says about extending grace and forgiveness to one another, about walking the extra mile. We know what God says about sacrifice and about giving and about discipleship and about obedience. We know. How are we doing with those things? You see, righteousness is knowledge plus obedience. Jesus stood outside the city of Jerusalem looking over his people who knew more about God than any other people in the history of the world had known about God. And yet they lacked obedience. Knowledge without obedience is disobedience. And disobedience, the scripture says, brings judgment. Jesus' world sounds a whole lot like our world today. Even many of those who on the surface call themselves Christians are not really doers of the word. Many who claim to follow Jesus aren't walking all that close to him. And God, by his very nature, cannot tolerate disobedience. And when Jesus sees their lack of obedience, even after being told over and over and being warned time and time again, he weeps. Today, Jesus still sees into hearts and homes and cities and even our churches. And he weeps. Luke tells us that the tears welled up in the eyes of Jesus as he looked over the city of Jerusalem because he saw their rejection. The day Jesus entered Jerusalem triumphantly was the first day of Passover week. The day that the Jews were to go and select their sacrificial lamb for the Passover celebration. 
to get it ready, to choose it for what was to come. So the day that we know best as Palm Sunday was known to the Jews best as Lamb Selection Day. And each family was to find an unblemished lamb to be sacrificed. It's blood to be shed for their salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins, for their atonement, for their salvation. So as Jesus rode down that Mount of Olives from the east, as he looked straight at what is known as Messiah's gate into the city, as he came and everybody knew by prophetic proclamation how that would work, He is visibly saying to all of those that would observe and listen, here I am. Here I come. I am the unblemished lamb of God. I am on my way to be sacrificed. I am on my way to shed my blood on the cross for you. Choose me. Choose today. Will you choose me as your lamb, as your sacrifice, as your savior? Will you choose me as your king, as your Lord? Most who greeted Jesus that day were looking for a Messiah. Most of them were looking for a political Messiah, for a political leader, for a political solution to get out from under the oppression of the Romans. So they waved a a nationalistic political symbol, the palm branch. They chanted a political refrain, Hosanna to the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna to David. And they thought they had it all figured out. They were planning to make Jesus their Messiah, but only if Jesus followed their prescribed plan, used military might to overthrow the Romans and used it to put down their political oppressor. But Jesus had made it clear time and time again. He was not a political Messiah. They tried to make Jesus something he was not. Something that even today is all too common. Today, we still try to frame Jesus into someone we can be comfortable with. That is someone who looks a lot like us, who thinks like we think, and who agrees with us. If we want Jesus to forgive our sins, then we need to obey his command to love our enemies, to turn the other cheek, to pray for those who persecute us, If we want Jesus to step in and help us in our distresses, we need to heed his call to feed the hungry and to clothe the naked and to care for the poor and to visit the prisoner. If we want Jesus to confront evil and injustice in our world, we need to accept him as the one who is willing to touch the unclean and to associate with sinners. The truth is, if the kingdom ever gets comfortable, we're probably in the wrong kingdom. And that's the whole point. They were looking for someone for something different. 
And so as Jesus is saying, choose me, choose me, they're asking for a liberator, not a lamb. They want a victorious conqueror, not a crucified king. So they said to Jesus, no, not going to happen. We don't choose you. They rejected him. His way, his truth, and his life. We can only imagine the tears welling up in Jesus' eyes as he looks over this huge city of peace and the rejection of his own people begins to set in. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus said, I am the only way for people to be reconciled to my Father, to have hope and to find their salvation. And as Jesus looks over the city of Zion, He knew that it would just be days, just days before their celebration would turn into the cry, crucify him, crucify him. And he would hang on a cross just outside, just outside of the city of peace. Luke notes in verse 44, They did not recognize the time of God's coming. Jesus, the prophet had said, would be despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he would be despised and we would hold him in low esteem. The Apostle John describes his pain in the very first chapter. The true light which gives life to everyone was coming into the world, John writes. He was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people rejected him. Knowing that they had rejected him as the Passover lamb, and that God's judgment would soon be coming upon them. Jesus wept. Knowing that they had rejected their only hope for forgiveness, their only hope for eternal life, Jesus wept. That judgment would soon come with a vengeance. Jesus says a bit later in The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. Jesus is coming into the city. Luke says this is why he stopped and cried. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. That prophecy would come true in an astounding and startling way just days before Passover, 70 A.D. Jerusalem in the temple. It's Passover, remember? So the town is bursting with Jews from all over the world. They've come to the heart and soul, to the temple and the, and the Mount of Zion from all over. 
And while they were there, the city would be surrounded by the Romans. And over the next few months of that siege, the Roman legions would completely destroy everything. Not one stone, as Luke prophesies here, or Jesus prophesies in Luke, would be left unturned. And that prophecy came true. And everyone in the city and in the temple, over one million men, women, and children died. They died from the resulting starvation of the siege and from the slaughter that ensued. The price of misunderstanding, the price of disobedience, the price of rejecting the Lamb of God is catastrophic. It is excruciating. And it is eternal. Tears welled up in the eyes of Jesus because Jesus was moved to compassion. Jesus knows their history of misunderstanding, of disobedience, and of rejection toward the prophets. And now he is personally experiencing their current misunderstanding and disobedience and rejection of him, God's only son. And Jesus sees the future, the impending starvation, pain, and suffering. And Jesus weeps. And these are tears of compassion. We've often asked the question, if God is good, and God is all-powerful. Why is there so much suffering and why is there so much pain in this world? And many figure it must be because God is really not all that good or God isn't really all that powerful or we wouldn't have this much suffering. And so this week, we grieved with parents of those who were killed in a Christian school in Nashville. We have been contributing over the last month to provide some relief for those families who have lost loved ones and their homes in Turkey. We are grieved as we watch the pictures of the devastating war crimes that are taking place of humanity versus humanity in Ukraine. Pain and suffering seem to dominate our screens and our lives. But Jesus wants us to know that he created a world where there was no suffering, where no one died until someone like you and me came along and, and just messed it up. But Jesus also wants us to know that that day where there will be no suffering and will be no pain and will be no more death is coming again because of him, because of Jesus Jesus wants us to know that God, his father and our father, has provided a solution for our suffering and our death and the impending judgment. It is his one and only son's suffering and death on the cross. Have you ever asked God to teach you to weep for your sins so that you might in turn weep for the sins of others? The continuing 
misunderstanding and disobedience and rejection of Jesus in our world should and must move us as well to tears. Our sin and our disobedience that sent Jesus to that cross must move us to tears and then to compassion and then to action. We need to be moved as Jesus was by the poor and the broken and the abused. Move to feed the hungry and move to clothe the naked, to visit the prisons, to minister to those who are sick. We must be moved to tell the world, beginning with our neighbor, that Jesus has come, has died for them so that they too can understand and they too can accept the Lamb of God as their Savior and as their Lord. You see, the tears of Jesus not only say a lot about the God you and I serve, they say a lot about his people, you and I, who serve God. Jesus wants his people to know how much he loves them, that he was prepared to die for them. He also wants us to know that he died for us because he loves us so much. Jesus wants us to know how much he longs for his tears to move us to tears so we too can embrace his compassion and obedience. Jesus promises that the injustice, the pain, and the suffering in this world will one day end. He keeps his promise. But until then, Jesus still weeps. Don't miss his tears. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that Jesus was moved to compassion for us. Moved to leave his place in heaven and take on the form of a human being to be one of us. Father, we long to follow Jesus. We long to be obedient. We long to honor you and him. So Father, today, May we accept him as our Lamb of God, the one who takes away our sins and brings us back to you. This is our prayer. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.